Well, it is good to, to be with you all today. Uh, if you have a Bible, open up to Deuteronomy chapter 18. That's where we'll be spending our time this morning. As you turn there, I just want to echo what was just said. We are so thankful to have a, uh, a church like this so close, helping spread the mission, which is to make disciples of all nations beginning here in Austin. What a, what a joy it is to have such a close church. And, and I have to say, once again, I just want to remind you of what a, a good friend your pastor is to me. Uh, just a few months ago, uh, I was in a coffee shop in Kyle. And uh, I was meeting up with someone, and it was another instance where providentially, for whatever reason, the Lord has uh, allowed this particular person, and during that time, a, a whole host of other people from our church to move on from our church to go to another one. So we were kind of, I was feeling that as a pastor. You know, I don't want to put my hope in numbers, but pastors feel it when people leave. It's for whatever reason, whether they move away or whatever it might be, it's, it's, it's hard because we love such people poured into them. And I just had a meeting like that, and uh, I was feeling down, probably sinfully down. And I was praying, literally writing out a prayer in my prayer journal, Lord, would you just comfort me? Would you help me? And lo and behold, guess who walked through the door? <laughs> Pastor Samuel comes in, Josh! Brother! You know how he is. Oh, and what comfort immediately came over my soul at that moment. He said, how are you? And you know when he says, how are you, that's not a throwaway phrase. He means it. And I said, I'm not doing well. And his whole demeanor changed. And his brother, what's going on? Shared with him. And right in the middle of, of Summer Moon, best coffee in Austin, Summer Moon, right there, he put his arm around me and prayed for me. And the Lord answered that prayer. I was like halfway through the prayer. I wasn't even finished writing it. And the Lord brought my brother Samuel. And I'm so thankful for the friendship we have. He is such a, a, a faithful brother. I'm so glad he's there preaching the word to my people. I wish, honestly, I wish I were there to listen to him. But you get me this morning, and I'm glad to be here with you. Deuteronomy chapter 18, we'll be looking at verses 15 to 22. Um, often in the Christian life, it is so easy to become accustomed to basic Christian truths and realities that we are no longer thrilled by like we should be. And one reason why we lose thrill of truths that we've grown so accustomed to is because we tend to take for granted what we already have. Isn't that kind of true in life? That the treasures that we have, we don't see them as treasures to the degree that we did before we had them? I think of before I was married, uh, I was dating and engaged to my wife. I was counting down the days, man. I just couldn't wait to marry my wife. And now 17 years into marriage, there are plenty of days where I forget the treasure that I have in my wife. Sometimes the Christian life can be like this. One of the things that our hearts can grow dull towards is the word of God, the Bible. We can lose the thrill that we have in our very possession the very words of Almighty God himself. Right at our fingertips, right here. And we've got it cracked open. And because it's so accessible, it is very easy for our hearts to become indifferent to what is ours. 
I was on the phone with a longtime church member this past week as I was calling all the church members, you okay, you got power, you need anything, and one particular brother, been a Christian for many, many years, he's 90 years old, Manny, sweetest brother in the world, he says uh, to me, yeah, bro- brother, we're good, we're, we're, we're fine, thank you so much, but while I have you on the phone, pastor, I was reading in the Bible, and I got a question for you. And we spent the next 15 minutes talking about Isaiah 65 and what's going to be like in the new heavens and new earth. Are we going to remember what it was like here on this earth? And he was just asking one question after another. And he closed that conversation with, brother, pastor, i got to tell you. Every time I crack open the Bible, I don't know what it is. It just makes me so happy. I wish I were like that. Some of you are. Just like our brother Manny, the Bible, you just can't get enough of it. Others of us struggle. Others of us aren't thrilled by it. Others of us might even feel a dullness and even like a lack of desire to just crack it open, let alone get something from it after we read it. And I know if you're a Christian, you don't want that. You're not okay with that. And that's a good place to be. You're not actually weird if you have a hard time at times in your life being thrilled with what's in the Bible. That's a a common Christian experience, but it's not okay. You shouldn't be content with that. So how can we grow in our longing for the word? Many answers could be given, but what I want us to do this morning is to put ourselves in the shoes of the Old Testament saints who came before us who longed for and eagerly waited for the prophet who was prophesied in Deuteronomy chapter 18 to come and bring God's people God's word. When we step back and remember what it's like to not have what we now have, sometimes it causes us to long to treasure what we currently have. you got to realize when the last book of the Bible was written, book of Malachi, written about 430 B.C., that was the last special direct word from the Lord to God's people before a period of how long? 400 years of silence. Not one word of special direct revelation from God himself. Now, you can imagine, at that time, put yourself in the shoes of the people at that time. They knew that God promised a prophet would come and bring them God's word and fulfill all the promises he ever gave. And years turned into decades, and decades turned into centuries, and there was still no word from God. How would your trust in God be at that time? Would you struggle? I would. I like how... One children's story Bible captures it. We read the big picture story Bible to our kids. The older ones have it memorized, basically. One chapter in the big picture story Bible titled Many Silent Years puts it like this. Years passed without a single word from God. And the the page is like this dark picture of a, you know, a dead, quiet town in Israel. Nothing's happening there. And years turned into many years, and the many years turned into hundreds of years, and the great promises of God seemed to fade away. I want us to try to enter into that experience 
this morning as we look at Deuteronomy 18. Because when we are reminded that the final prophet has come, we're going to be thrilled all the more to treasure who we now have in him and not take him for granted or take his words for granted. God's people need God's prophet because they need God's word. That's the point of this passage. God's people need God's prophet because they need God's word. And that point is established in this passage by highlighting three characteristics of the work of this coming prophet. So I want to begin with characteristic number one. God's prophet is promised that he will mediate for God himself. God's prophet will mediate God himself. Look at verse 15. The Lord your God will rise up for you, a prophet will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from among your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. So this is Moses speaking here to the people of Israel, and he's saying, God's going to raise up a prophet like me, like Moses, who comes from among your brothers, that's Israel, comes from Israel, and it says, you got to listen to him. Now let's step back and ask, why is Moses telling the people of Israel about this future prophet at this point in Israel's history? Why is he sharing this at this point? What's significant about the timing of him predicting this future prophet who is to come? We get some insight when we consider what's going on in the book of Deuteronomy as a whole. Deuteronomy was meant to be a book that prepared God's people for life in the promised land. Remember, they're not there yet. They're not in the promised land yet when Deuteronomy was written. God promised Israel that they would inherit the land of Canaan and experience peace and rest because they didn't experience that when they were slaves in Egypt. Moses was the one who led the people out of slavery in Egypt toward that promised land. But as you know, because of the hardness of their heart towards God, they were forced then to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And that's where we find ourselves in the book of Deuteronomy. God gave the people his law. And the book of Deuteronomy is in many ways a reiteration of that law. But there's more going, in Deuteron- going on in Deuteronomy than just kind of a, 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 a kind of resummarizing what was already given. Deuteronomy specifically helped prepare the people of Israel for life In the promised land. And in this particular section section of Deuteronomy, Moses addresses who would be the leaders in the promised land. Leadership, many of which hasn't come about yet. Think of a king. Deuteronomy chapter 17 mentions a king, what the king is supposed to be like. There's going to be priests, there's going to be judges. And then last in the list here in Deuteronomy 18 is the role of a prophet. And there's a reason, I think, why he addresses the prophet last in that list of leaders. The prophet within the nation of Israel functioned as kind of a final accountability. If the priest, the judge, the king goes off the rails, who comes and corrects them? The prophet. You remember uh, Nathan with David. David went off the rails. He was not obeying God. 
like a year, and then out of nowhere, Nathan comes and corrects him. At this point in Israel's history, Moses was the main prophet. But if you know Deuteronomy, you know that in chapter 3, Moses already told the people what God had declared to him regarding his destiny. You remember what God said to Moses? You're not actually going to make it into the promised land, Moses. You're going to die before you get there. Now think of how that would have made the people of Israel feel. Moses was their guy. Moses was their leader. Who's going to lead us? I mean, you've been with us this whole way, Moses, and you're going to die? What are we going to do? Who are we going to listen to when we get into the promised land? In fact, the passage just prior to ours, Moses warns them of listening to certain kinds of people. Don't do it. Look at what he says in verse 9. Chapter 18, verse 9. He says, when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of the nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. Now that should be common sense. It's not in our day, is it? Different sermon for a different time. Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or sorcerer, or a charmer, or a medium, or a necromancer, or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things, it is an abomination to the Lord. And because these abominations, because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. And for these nations, which you are about to dispossess, listen. Notice this language. They listen to fortune tellers and diviners. But as for you... The Lord, your God, has not allowed you to do this. You're going into this land, Israel, filled with people in that land who listen to falsehood. Don't partake in it. Don't listen to these false prophets. Okay, Moses, who are we supposed to listen to? You're not going to be there. Who are we going to listen to, Moses? Verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up a prophet. It is to him you shall listen. They need God's word given to them through this prophet because Moses won't be there and false prophets will be. That's not the only reason they need this prophet. This prophet is not only meant to guard them from listening to false prophets, this prophet is meant to be there to guard them from listening to God's voice himself. Look what it says in verse 16. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. What's that talking about? What are they referring to? I mean, why, why do they not want to hear God's voice? That verse is alluding to chapter 5, verse 22. I want you to look over there real quick. Go to chapter 5, verse 22. Chapter 5, verse 22 says this. These words 
the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness, with a loud voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. So, so there, this is when Moses is recounting that time when God was on the mountain and, and God spoke in this amazing imagery there, a lot of action taking place and you would think the people would be amazed by the fact that they hear from God himself and that's not how they respond. Look at what it says in verse 25, chapter 5, verse 25. Now therefore, why should we die for this great fire will consume us? If we, notice this language, if we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and still lived? Go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say and speak to us all the Lord our God will speak to you. And we will hear and do it. In other words, Moses, be our mediator. Isn't that what they're asking? We can't hear from God directly. We're sinners. Unclean, unfit, God is holy, God is perfect, God is righteous. And I don't know why we didn't die the first time, but if this happens again, we're going to die. We don't want to take that risk again. So speak for us, Moses. Now that might sound odd to some people in our day and age who often hear of, and some maybe even claim to have casual encounters with the Lord, like me and the Lord had a sweet conversation this morning while I was shaving and brushing my teeth and, and uh, getting ready for Sunday worship. He, he talked to me and I talked to him. It was just a, it was a really sweet, peaceful time. <laughs> if you hear someone say that, just be, beware. We cannot receive the word of God like that without a mediator. God speaking to sinful humanity is not a casual thing. Why? Because the word of God is the revelation of God. He is in his word, if I can put it like that. You can't separate who he is from what he says. They are integrally bound. Therefore, when God speaks, he's revealing himself Listen to how 1 Samuel chapter 3 puts it. The Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. How did God show up to Samuel? By his word. This is why God's speaking is never casual and why sinful people need a mediator. They need another prophet like Moses to mediate the voice of God himself. That's number one. Characteristic number two. God's prophet will speak with the authority of God himself. Look at what it says in chapter 18, verse 17. Verse 17. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will rise up for them, I will raise up for them, a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. You notice the word prophet there is in the singular. I will raise up a prophet. 
doesn't say prophets. I will put my words in his mouth. He shall speak. Who is this? Now, no doubt there was a succession of prophets who came after Moses who were like Moses. True prophets. And no doubt they are in mind here. Like this idea is I will continue to give you a prophet who will mediate my voice. However, quite often, when the Old Testament uses this singular language, prophet, referring to the office, there's also an anticipation of the final greatest prophet who fulfills that office and is the one for whom God's people are waiting to arrive. To do what? What are they wanting this prophet to do? Did you see that language in verse 18? God says, I will put my words in his mouth. What does that mean? I will put my words in his mouth. Does that not mean that when the prophet speaks, God speaks? When this prophet opens his mouth, it is as if God himself is talking because he is. He will speak God's very words because God puts the words in his mouth. And therefore, such words carry the authority of God himself. Notice that in verse 19. Verse 19, and whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. My words that he speaks. Then listen, God's going to hold that person accountable to every word that comes out of the mouth of the prophet because the words coming out of the mouth of the prophet will be put there by God himself and therefore they're God's words and therefore they carry the authority of God himself and therefore God will not tolerate his word to be dismissed or disobeyed. Now notice how that point is further confirmed in the warning to prophets who claim to speak God's word but do not. Look at what it says in verse 20. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. Again, I think this is a reinforcement of the fact that the true prophet speaks the very words of God himself and therefore carries the authority of God himself. So if one claims to do that, and if they're proven otherwise, God says he's going to die. God does not allow his word to be tampered with. Claiming to speak for God, but speaking that which is contrary to God, is a distortion of God. Because the word of God reveals God. His word and himself are one, and therefore if his word is twisted, he is being misrepresented. So you see why in Scripture we have so many instances of making such a big deal of rightly handling the word of God, and why so often in Scripture there are warnings of those who would twist God's word. James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. 
maybe should give some of y'all a little bit of pause, some of you men pause in your zealous desire to be a, an elder. You're going to be judged with greater strictness. Good desire, but approach it very level-headedly. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Now, what would you expect him to say after that? <laughs> I mean, that's quite the setup. I charge you, in God's presence, in Jesus' presence, the one who judges the living and the dead, by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. That's how serious it is, Timothy. You're, you're preaching the word in light of all these insane realities. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Why? For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Matthew 7 Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. 1 John 4, beloved, do not believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Because many false prophets had gone out into the world. Park Hills Baptist Church, don't listen to Joel Osteen. Don't listen to Paula White. Don't listen to Benny Hinn. Don't listen to Stephen Furtick. We went to the same seminary. Not at the same time. But Stephen Furtick, I don't know if you know who he is. Pastor of Elevation Church, put in quotes, Pastor of Elevation Church, preaching a name it, claim it, false gospel. Don't listen to him. Don't listen to anyone who would tamper with God's word. Because those who claim to proclaim the word of God are meant to carry the authority of God. And when they mess with God's word, they're messing with God. God's people need God's word. And they need it authoritatively and accurately given to them. And this leads us to characteristic number three of this prophet, the work of this prophet. He, his work, his words will be as true and accurate as God himself. Look at verse 21. Verse 21. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? Verse 22, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. I love it how simple the Bible is. <laughs> Don't complicate this. If you want to know if what a prophet says is true, check to see if it came, out, came about. Did it happen? Do their predictions come true? If not, don't listen to them. I find it amazing how many Christians complicate this, overcomplicate it. I remember a few years ago there was a, a, a pastor who put a video out that went viral, and he was claiming that he got a vision through a dream that something really bad, like, that's going to alter the course of history that was going to happen in just a few months. And listen, I, I hadn't, the guy looked really sincere. I did not doubt his sincerity for a second. But get this, not every false prophet knows they're full of hogwash. 
Not every false prophet realizes that what they're saying is false. They could be very sincere, but sincerely wrong. And many people listened to this guy and actually believed what he was saying was true. And they were really, I mean, Christians were really shook up by this. And lots of, of them were so shook up, I think, because there was a lot going on at that time. It was 2020, a lot of division in our country. COVID was, was what it was, and, and there were riots, lots of things happening. And so people were feeling particularly vulnerable. And so this word from the Lord, quote unquote, they, they were tempted to believe it. But you know what? It didn't come true. At least I couldn't, I couldn't see anything that actually happened. No life-altering thing in, in the history of our world took place. It's amazing that we have such a hard time with the simplicity of what God's word says. If it doesn't come true, it's not true. It's not a true prophet. Do you remember the guy who wrote the book called 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Going to Return in 1988? Remember that guy? The most amazing thing about that is how many people believed it. Do you know how many copies were sold of his book? 4.5 million. Spoiler alert, <laughs> he was wrong. And that's not the craziest thing. What ended up happening was he decided to revise and wrote a book predicting 1989, then 1993, then 1994, and I probably more after that. But that's not even the craziest thing. The craziest thing that people, is that people kept buying his books and believing it. I mean, if it, if it doesn't come true... Don't listen. Why do you keep listening? It's pretty simple. It's not from God. If the prophet speaks for God himself, then his words are as true as God himself is. So you see why God's people need God's true prophet. We need God's word. And we need God's word because we need God himself. We need a prophet who reveals God himself, carries the weight of the authority of God himself, and is as true as God himself. And no doubt Israel had prophets like that come along, but they kept waiting. They kept waiting for that final one to come. We know anyone like that? John six fourteen. When the people saw the sign that Jesus had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. John 7, verse 40. When they heard these words of Jesus, some people said, this really is the prophet. We read Acts chapter 3 earlier, verse 22. Peter quoting from Deuteronomy 18, applying it to Jesus, saying, Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Long ago, and many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by whom? His son. Matthew 17, verse 5. This is amazing. The father says, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. That's an allusion to Deuteronomy 18. It is to him you shall listen. Do you know that the words of Jesus Christ, the final true prophet, are not suggestions? 
The words of Jesus Christ are not principles for healthier living that you can take or leave. The words of Jesus Christ are not guidelines or proverbial sayings that have a nice ring to them to give you some food for thought. The words of Jesus Christ carry the very authority of God himself and they are to be listened to, not ignored. If you were tempted this morning to ignore the words of Jesus, oh beware. Do you know this Jesus? We learned a lot about him this morning. If you know who he is, you will not ignore what he says. God's people need God's prophet because God's people need God's word. And God's word gives us God himself. This is the amazing truth about Jesus, the final prophet. He doesn't just give us God's word. He doesn't just speak to us God's word. He is God's word. John 1.1 In the beginning, the Word was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is not just another prophet among many, as Islam might claim. He is not even merely the greatest prophet among many who would speak God's Word. He is God's Word. He is the true and full revelation of God himself. That's why we need him. That's why we need Jesus the prophet. He reveals God to us in the fullest sense because he's God. And how did he do it? John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. He became a man. That's how he showed us God. God's full glory, seen by God's people in Jesus' day, and they didn't die. Why? Because Jesus, the very word of God, became flesh to mediate the very presence of God. That's why he came. And he did so by living the sinless life for us and dying the death we deserve to die and rising again from the dead. There's a reason why he came to do what he did. He came to show us God. And when he did, the people didn't die. Why? Because he died for them instead. This is what Jesus came to do. If you're not a Christian, can I just encourage you to think deeply about why Jesus came? Not only who he is. Yes, he is truly God who became truly man. But why did he do that? He came to do that because we can't be in the very presence of God himself without dying. Because we're sinful. And we deserve the very wrath of God because he is just and holy. But Jesus represented us before God. Living the life we couldn't live. Dying the death we deserve to die. And rising triumphantly over sin and death in our place. And so now, we don't have to fear. You don't have to fear Receiving God's word. Our response doesn't need to be like the response of the people of Israel. Don't let God talk to us. Mediate for us. Moses, the true and better Moses, has come. And when this final prophet speaks, God speaks because he is God. God speaks directly to us through Jesus Christ. And we see the glory of God himself. And not only do we not die, we live. We we get life. We don't fear death from the words of Jesus. 
We get life from his words. Remember what Peter said? You, Jesus, John 6, 68, you have the words of eternal life. Your words give life, not death. When you cling to Jesus, cling to his words, he gives you eternal life. Now, where do we go? Where do we go to get the words of Jesus today? He's not walking around in flesh right now. We trust he's coming back, and oh, we look forward to him coming back. But he's ascended in heaven, and he will return again. But where do we go in the meantime to get the words of eternal life? Church, where do we go? Right here. That's why we crack this open every Sunday. These are the words of eternal life. This is where we go. And this is one reason, you may disagree with me on this, and that's okay, but one reason why I don't hold the position that we have the office of prophets still existing today. In the sense that God speaks a direct binding revelation on all of God's people through a man. We have the final prophet who's come, and he's sent forth his prophets in the New Testament to give us what we have here. Now, can God speak to us outside of the Bible in the sense that he might lay something on your heart? Of course. Like, can, can he give you an impression that, man, I feel like I need to just go and talk to this person. Don't know why. But I'm going to go talk to them and encourage them to say these words to them. Do it. Say it. That's fine. But that's not the question I have. The question I have is, does God speak through prophets today in the sense described in Deuteronomy 18? A true, accurate, authoritative revelation of God himself that is binding on all of God's people. And my answer is, look, this is why we got the Bible. (laughs) We got it. It captures for us the revelation of who God is for us in Christ. Why would we ever feel the need to have a word from the Lord more than what we have right here. The Bible is an ocean of treasure that shows us God. Can I encourage you? Swim in the Bible. Don't just go up to it in the morning, give it a little toe tap, think you got your feet wet a little bit. Swim in the Bible. It is an ocean of treasure that shows us God. Give yourself to it. As I heard one person say, look, do you really want to hear God speak? Read your Bible. Do you want to hear him speak audibly? Read your Bible out loud. It's what we need. Give yourself to the reading of God's word. And some of you are here today saying, I want to, I want to. But it's hard. I mean, I just, it's tiring. I can be tired. Listen, here's a good question to ask yourself. Is the extra 30 minutes of sleep worth it? Some of you are like, you don't know, I got little kids, man. Hey, I've been there. I know. Desperation for every minute of sleep. But is it more important? 30 minutes. 15 minutes. Is that more important than getting into the word in the morning? I think we would all say probably not in most occasions. So let me encourage us. Give yourself to the Bible. I want to. My heart's just not there. Let me encourage you very simply to pray. Pray even now 
as we close, pray that you would treasure God's word that is right at your fingertips. Pray before you crack open the Bible, whenever that is, in the morning, evening, the afternoon. Pray a simple prayer. Oh God, let me behold wonderful things in your word. God loves to answer that prayer. Would you pray that? When your heart feels dull, pray that God would cause you to know what it is and what this gives us, namely, God himself. We have a treasure right at our fingertips. Let us run to it again and again. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the treasure in your word. Thank you that we have it. Thank you that it reveals you to us. Thank you for Christ, the final prophet, who gave us your very words because he is one with you. And thank you that he passed down his words to apostles to write these things down so that we have the words of Jesus, the authoritative word, the authoritative teaching, the beautiful, the the life-giving teaching of Jesus right at our fingertips. Oh God, I pray for the struggling saint who feels dull towards your word. Would you awaken their hearts? Answer the prayer of their heart to see wonderful things in your word. And may that transform them and so live for your glory. We pray that for all of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.